Greg, I'm Rob, and it's great to welcome you here. I know that some of you are here today because a family member or a friend or a coworker um, invited, bribed, blackmailed you uh, to be here. And so because I wanted to be nice because they went to the extent of, of, of inviting you, I promised I would only speak for three hours, so um, happy Easter. A traditional Easter greeting uh, throughout time in, in Christian church has been this on Easter Sunday. I would say, Christ is risen, and the congregation would respond, He is risen indeed. And back in times when you could be killed for your faith, on Easter Sunday, Christians would gather like this, and they would repeat this practice of greeting each other and remembering the hope that is of the resurrection. Back in the 1800s, when barn burner preachers were running through this area on horseback, planting churches, and preaching the gospel to people for the very first time, on those first Easter Sundays when they would gather, they would stop and they would say to each other, Christ is risen, he is risen indeed. And around the world today, and I think of those of you for who maybe you aren't home this Sunday, but back in your home country of Ghana, or China, or India, or Brazil, Nigeria, Germany, Philippines, Korea, Mexico, U.S., Sri Lanka, Trinidad and Tobago, Bermuda, and I apologize for the countries that I missed. Back home today in your country, on, on Easter Sunday, the Christian church would gather together and they would say, He is risen, He's risen indeed. And today, in places like Egypt, where the Coptic Christians would gather for worship on Easter Sunday after a brutal week, they would gather together and they would remember the hope of the resurrection and they would say, He is risen. He's risen indeed. And so this morning, I'm going to invite you to join me in saying this as we connect with Christians around the world today and through time who have gathered on Easter Sunday to acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the hope of the world to join me. And I say to you, he is risen. risen Thank you. Thank you. Well, we're in Easter season, so we're going to talk about the resurrection today. And speaking of resurrections... Could it be? Here's the reality. Some of you will struggle with the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, but you can put your hope in the Toronto Maple Leafs. It's a, it's a great Easter mystery to me. We are going to look this morning at the Easter story, and we have been tracking, you know, starting last September, we as a congregation started reading through the scriptures, and each week uh, we would read a passage of scripture, and then on Sunday we would come here and, and discuss it. In the last three weeks in particular, we've been focusing on the life of Jesus. And, and today, and in our readings in the last few days, we've seen Jesus that on Good Friday, um, he was convicted, tried, and crucified, and buried. On Saturday, Jesus was, was put in the tomb, and he laid there dead. And for the first time in a long time, Jesus wasn't causing any trouble on the Sabbath. But then we read that on Sunday, on Sunday morning, they went to the tomb to bury him and to finish the burial, and they discovered that Jesus Christ had risen. And we're going to be looking at that story this morning, but we're going to be looking at it through the eyes of Mary Magdalene. So I'm going to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 20. If you're new to the Bible, there might be a, a red one within arm's reach. And if you turn to page 1,685, you'll notice it says the book of John on the top, and it's broken up in chapters and verses. And verse 20 starts way down in the very bottom corner. I'll read one verse, and then you'll have to flip the page. Um, but John chapter 20, if you've got your phone, you can look it up on that as well. I'm going to read a couple of verses, talk about it, read a couple of verses, talk about it, and then we'll, and then we'll be uh, finished and ready for cinnamon buns. John chapter 20, just verses 1 and 2 to start us off. It says this, Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene 
went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and to the other disciple, the one Jesus loved and who also wrote this book, and said, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. On that first Easter morning, Mary goes to the tomb. We know from the other gospel accounts that she went with some other women to to look after Jesus' body as was proper Jewish custom after somebody had passed away. And when Mary sees the tomb is empty, she runs back to tell Peter and John. And in this text, she's referring to John, the disciple whom Jesus loved. And what strikes us immediately is that none of the disciples and none of the followers of Christ were expecting Jesus to be resurrected. None of them which is actually consistent with Jesus' followers because they continued to struggle with his teachings and with what he was really saying. And so even though he promised that he was going to be resurrected, they weren't expecting it. And who can blame them? Let's be honest. If you were there and had followed Jesus for three years and you walked around behind him and as he taught, you took really, really serious notes and you even had your little Bible highlighter out and you highlighted the passages where he said that he was going to raise again, you still on that first morning probably would not have expected Jesus to have been resurrected. And I know for some of you, you might struggle with this whole idea of a bodily resurrection. And I would say every serious Christian should wrestle with this claim. There are theories that Jesus didn't really raise from the dead. One theory says um, that the religious leaders and the political officials of the day went in, stole his body, And, of course, the problem with that is when the disciples then preached that he'd been raised to life, they could have produced the body and undone their story right away. There's also the theory that Jesus never really died physically. He was close to death but didn't really die. And that when he was buried in the tomb, the coolness and the freshness of the tomb kind of woke him up and he kind of was resuscitated. There was a lady once in a church, and her pastor tried to preach this theory on Sunday morning, and she was quite upset about it. So she went to a a, a local historian and asked him, um, you know, is this really true? And he responded to her. He said, go to your pastor, keep him up all night, beat him with a whip, have him carry a crossbeam through town, nail him to the cross, hang him in the sun for three hours, drive a spear up to his heart, take him down and place him in a cold tomb and see how refreshed he is. (laughs) The other view holds that the disciples themselves took Jesus' body. That they were embarrassed because, you know, they had been the center of attention, a center of this movement that actually fell apart. And so to keep the story going and to protect their own reputations, they took Jesus' body and hid it somewhere so they could continue to be the center of attention. Of course, the problem with this view is that all of those disciples, except for one, were murdered. And they were murdered because they were preaching that Jesus had been resurrected. Which begs the question, wouldn't there have been at least one who at the last moment of their life said, actually, the whole thing's a scam. We made it up. I'm not dying for something that isn't true. So if you're here this morning and you're kind of struggling with the whole idea of a bodily resurrection, just know you're in good company because these first disciples were struggling with it as well. So the disciples, after Mary comes and tells them that the tomb is empty, they come and run to the tomb. Mary runs with them. They then leave Mary to go back to the other disciples, and Mary is standing there all by herself. And it says this in verses 11 and 12 of John chapter 20. Then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood outside the tomb crying. 
She stood outside the tomb crying. I want to suggest to you as we look in Mary's life today that this was not the first time that Mary had been alone and Mary had been in tears. That this was not the first time in her life when she had experienced world-altering disappointment. There's lots of Marys in the New Testament, and as you read them through, you see a lot of women named Mary. This is the story of Mary Magdala, or Mary Magdalene. Magdala means tower or castle, and it's the name of the town that she was from. It was on the Sea of Galilee, it was a textile community, and the people from this community were known to be quite wealthy. Now, many traditions have kind of pegged Mary Magdalene as a prostitute, that at one point in her life she was a prostitute. But there's really no biblical evidence for this. I won't go into all of that, but that's, if, that's, if you're familiar with the story, you might be thinking that is the same Mary, and it's not. What we do know about Mary is found in Luke chapter 8. It's a very, very short verse and a very short reference to her. Let me read it for you here. After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Now, it could have been a, a literal seven. Sometimes in the Bible, seven is used to denote kind of fullness or completion. But either way, Mary had been seriously afflicted. And this kind of demon possession would have ravaged her emotionally. It would have made relationships extremely complicated and almost impossible. Her sister never would have called her and asked her to look after the kids. It would have been difficult for her to hold down employment. Everybody in town would have known about her and would have watched for her. She would have been a danger and a concern to them. And she would have never been allowed to attend the synagogue for worship. She would have been outside of the religious community. And maybe you know people who've been afflicted in life. Maybe it's a health issue. Maybe it's a financial issue. Maybe it's a mental health issue. But their life has been so afflicted that their marriage fell apart. They lost contact with their kids. They've been unable to hold down a job. And their life has been difficult. This is Mary's story. Her past, her present, and her future. But then in Luke's gospel, in this one passing verse... Luke simply says, seven demons came out. And while Luke moves on in the story to quickly go on and tell some other great parables, Mary's life gets returned to her. This quick encounter with Jesus was the turning point in Mary's life. Some of you have had these moments in your life. They kind of define your life into two halves, life before this event and life after. And for Mary, this was one of those events. When she talked to other people, she would make reference to, well, this happened before Jesus healed me and put my life back together. Or this happened shortly after Jesus put my life back together. And think about the change that this would bring to her life when she walks into a room now and the way that people look at her and talk about her. For her to be laying in bed at night thinking about the new kind of thoughts that she has about her life because of the difference that Jesus has made. For her to show up at a synagogue and to be welcomed and not excommunicated. And from this point on, Mary follows Jesus. And I mean literally follows. She goes everywhere that he goes. In fact, she's mentioned 14 times in the Gospels. She's almost always mentioned in the company of other women, and she's almost always mentioned as the very first person as those women are mentioned. Meaning that she was at the forefront of these women who were giving their service to Christ and the disciples. She was present, active, and helpful. Because Christ had put her life back together again. 
and a picture starts to emerge of someone who's had their life put back together and has now rearranged their life to follow Jesus Christ. We see this probably best in the chapter just before John chapter 20 and John chapter 19. Jesus had been arrested. He'd been tried. He'd been convicted. Peter, one of his closest followers of Christ, had denied him three times and walked away. All the other disciples were nowhere to be found. Jesus had walked through the streets, been insulted, um, spit on, and beaten, had been hung on a cross. And in John chapter 19, verse 25, we read this. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mom, his aunt, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. The lepers that Jesus had healed, they weren't there. Blind Barnabas, who'd been given his sight, he wasn't there. The young girl who had died and Jesus came into the home and said to her, my little gazelle, get up. She and her parents, they weren't there. But Mary was there because Jesus had put her life back together. And now on this Easter morning, Mary, who was last to the cross, is first to the grave. Let me just read this encounter for us again, just starting at verse 13, if you still have your Bibles open. So the disciples have run back. They've left Mary standing there. She's upset. She's crying. She looks in the tomb. There's two angels who say to her, you know, and they ask her, woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Woman, he asked, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. And Jesus said to her, and I love this, he says, Mary. And she turned toward him and cried in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Do you see what's happening here? Mary is the celebrity endorsement of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. She's the very first person to see the resurrected Lord. Mary, who had been afflicted most of her life. Mary, who in that day was a woman and was unable to testify in court, unable to vote, and had so few rights. Mary, Jesus chooses Mary to be the very first person to see him resurrected. Not Pilate, not the Roman centurion, nobody but her. Why? Why Mary? Because she's walking proof of what the resurrection is really all about, that God's in the business of changing lives. If the resurrection and Easter had really been about learning a bunch of religious facts, Jesus probably would have had a religious teacher or a highly educated person to show up at the grave to be the very first person. If following Jesus was really about having the right political views, he would have had a politician be the first person to come to the grave. But instead, he has Mary, whose life got put to, back together at the hands of Jesus. Because only God can truly transform a life. Only God can put broken marriages back together. Only God can give purpose back to a dead heart. And only God can resuscitate faith in someone who's lost hope. And we see this beautifully in Mary's life. And it's still happening today. That's the great news of Easter. Jesus is alive, which means he's still active in people's hearts. We saw four people today get baptized. We have more waiting for the next baptismal service. And again and again, as we talk to people, we hear these stories of, God was reaching out to me. I sensed in a service, God was speaking to me. 
I opened up my Bible and I read a verse and it was kind of like God was calling my name. It's happening again and again because it's the good news of the resurrection that Jesus is in the business of transforming lives. And I don't know about you today and where you're at. If part of you has died, maybe it's your faith, maybe it's your hope, maybe it's your confidence in yourself, maybe it's a relationship, maybe it's a marriage and you think there is no hope. Well, the good news and the witness of Mary is when we follow Christ and say yes to him and his life and allow our lives to be reordered around him, we start to experience what Mary experienced, this great news that God's in the business of putting people's lives back together again. And we would want nothing more than for you to experience that in this Easter season. Let me pray for you. God, we are so grateful for this incredible story of Mary, for the testimony of the difference that you have made in her life, and that you allowed her to be the very first person to witness the resurrection. And Lord, today I just pray for anybody here who is just struggling in their own heart of hearts, and who maybe senses that you've been speaking to them, maybe over the last few weeks or months, but God senses that you are calling out their name as you did Mary's. Lord, I would pray today for just a great sense of courage to follow that and not run from it, to pay attention to it and not hide from it. And that we might start to experience the hope and the joy and the possibilities when we surrender ourselves fully to you. We are so grateful that the same power that resurrected Jesus from the grave can be at work in our lives as well. And we pray this in your name.